continuing our new sermon series on Picture Perfect, looking back into God's photo album. That's what the Bible is, of pictures. God has given us holy pictures, so we can better understand who he is and what he's done. Now, next week, we're going to take a pause. Uh, it's a good time to take that pause as we're working our way through Passover, through the Feast of the Lord and what that teaches us about God and about us. But next week, we will do what we do every beginning of each year, and it's our State of the Church Address. We take one Sunday to reflect on what God has been doing and then where God is leading us in this next year. And so I hope that you'll be here. It's an exciting time to reflect on the glory of God among us and what he's leading us to do. That's called the state of the church. That'll be next week. But today is the state of you. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we're learning through the feast these pictures of what God has done for us and what God is doing in us. There's a big picture to be seen through these pictures of the Old Testament. His pictures don't just point to a bunch of historical events that happened, although they are historical. They are events that literally happened on planet Earth as the Hebrews would be led out of their bondage in Egypt. From that moment on, we find pictures God was giving of our deliverance, how God sets us free, and how we can have a new life and a new place called the promised land. And as we look at these pictures of the Old Testament, they don't paint to these historical events. They actually are pictures that point to a person. They point to Jesus, the one who sets us free. So in the Old Testament, it gives us the pictures. In the New Testament, we find the fulfillment, we find the adult picture of what was pictured in the old. And so I'm going to give you another kind of slant off the power of pictures. Today you're going to guess the famous baby. All right, I'm going to put up some different baby photos and let's see if you can figure out. Now it's going to be harder for this crew. Uh, it was easier for the first hour. Let's see if you know some of these legends that you should know about. All right, here's our first baby. Take a look. Don't answer out loud. Take a guess. This is, this is a private competition. And I'd be interested to know if you have a clue who this is. All right, you got it? Here's this famous baby. His name is... Elvis, the king of rock and roll. Now, uh, to this generation, I always have fun with this generation because I get to enlighten you on how life used to be in this great country. We used to have these round things called records, LP records. You would play them on a record machine. That's how we listened to our music. And that was one of the first albums, that picture of him as a child is on one of his albums. It's Elvis Country and uh, seems like a weird album. But I'll remember that as long as I live. That's Elvis when he was a baby. Now, how many of you figured that one out? How many of you knew that was Elvis? Wow, a few of you. Maybe you had some parents that enlightened you and trained you up in the way you should go when you were a young child. That's the king of rock and roll. All right, let's take a look at this next baby, see if you can figure out who this is. Don't answer out loud yet. Let everybody try to figure it out. This baby is Muhammad Ali, the king of the ring. So we've got the king of rock and roll. We got the king of the ring, Muhammad Ali, one of the greatest pound-for-pound pound fighters of all history. Uh, now, you may not know who he is. Go Wikipedia or whatever you got to do. YouTube some old fights. The dude was awesome. King of the ring. Let's see if you can get, I bet you, I, I'm not going to bet you. I'm not supposed to do that because I'm a pastor. But I'm going to guess that not many of you will get the next baby. Go ahead, take a look at the next baby picture. And if you say that's me, I will slap you. I will come out there and I will slap you. All right, I was an ugly baby, just not that bad. All right, anybody know who that is? Anybody think they know who that is? Besides those that were in first service, you think you got it? Who do you think it is? 
<laughs> Somebody thought it's Trump. No, no. The comb over was starting early on that baby. That's true. This is, here's the famous baby, John Wayne, the king of cowboys. So we had the king of rock and roll, we got the king of the ring, and we got the king of the cowboys. Now, a lot of you don't know who John Wayne is, and that greatly discourages your pastor. This guy is a legend. He is the king of cowboys. Go Google up True Grit or The Cowboys or some movie, and you watch and see who John Wayne is. The dude's a stud, all right? He's Captain Testosterone. That's who he is. Next picture. Let's see if you get this one. This one goes back. Anybody know who this one is? Don't answer out loud. This is not Shirley Temple, if you know who that was. This is actually, take a look, that's my high school sweetheart. That is my wife. That's Cammie when she was a little kid. That's a little curveball because every time I saw that little baby picture, I always thought it was Shirley Temple. If you don't know who Shirley Temple is, that's not 7-Up with Sherry Gradine uh, sauce. It's uh, much bigger than that. It's a legend of times gone by. These baby pictures, did you notice that in some of those you had an inkling of who it was. There was some resemblance. You could see maybe who they became later on in life. I throw up the baby pictures to kind of point out that what we're seeing in the feast is kind of the baby pictures, the early pictures God gave us of what he was going to do in the person of Jesus Christ. So as we go back and we look, we won't see everything clearly, but you will see the early photos of faith, what it means to be a person of faith, and what God did for Israel, God was doing that historically to show you what he was going to do throughout all of time for everyone he's ever created. So we're digging in, we're looking in at these photos. We're basically going back into Exodus and Leviticus and we're looking at the baby photos of faith. Uh, here's what we're seeing on the next slide, you'll see a chart. Uh, when we look to the story of the Hebrews becoming a people of God, exiting Egypt in their bondage, we will see through these feasts that God would establish what it means to know God and walk in a relationship with God. Bigger than much feast. And I'll just be real honest. I've read about the feast. I've studied more about Passover because Passover seems to be more related to our Christian faith. And I let all the other feasts be historical things that the Jews did in the Old Testament. I would read about the feast. I would look into the feast. I was familiar with the feast, but I never saw them for what they were, God's holy photo album. Painting pictures for me of what God is doing in my life and what God wants to do in your life. And so we're digging in. Here are the three seasons, the three levels of pictures. Uh, the new birth, the baby photos, is Passover. That's when they were born as a nation. It's a picture of how we're born into the kingdom of God. We enter into that not because we decide to become a Christian, join a church. It is through the blood of the Passover lamb. That's how we have peace with God, and we studied that last week. Now, Passover would last for many days. We're going to study some more of that today. There are several festivals or feasts that happen in the festival time of Passover. Then we will, after stay of the church, we'll move over into Pentecost, another phase of our walk with God. First, you have to enter into a relationship through Passover. Then, as you have a relationship with God, you'll experience Pentecost, and I'll explain that as we get there. As we look at the power of God in our lives, we'll also see through the Feast of Tabernacles and all those uh, different feasts that we can have a daily relationship with God. 
So in other words, God didn't stop at Passover. God just didn't deliver them and answer their prayers and give them freedom. God is always at work in our life if we can see it. All right, so let's jump in. Next slide, here's what I want you to see. Um, you're going to start to see the very beginning of these feasts. It's in all of them. But you'll see at the beginning of the sacred year, you have Passover, which is what we studied already. Uh, Passover happened on uh, the sacred calendar that they called the month of Nisan, 14th, the 14th of that month. And what we're going to study today is the very next feast that happened the very next day after Passover, which is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, I would probably assume that most in this room have never really dug in on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Maybe you have. I'm just being transparent. I never really did. But today, that's where we're going. And you're going to have to listen for a while, gather some puzzle pieces, and by the end of the sermon, we'll put it all together where we better understand through these pictures what God was doing. So we see there the Passover. Remember, Passover is our deliverance day. Just like for the Hebrews, they were delivered from bondage to Pharaoh, to receiving their freedom. It's a picture for us of how we're set free from our bondage to sin, death, and the grave. It's a picture of how we can know forgiveness from God and a relationship with God. And that all happens through Passover. Remember what Paul wrote last week we studied? He said, Jesus, our Passover. What does that mean? It means that Jesus is the one who became the Lamb of God to take your sins away, to pay the price for your sin, so that you could have life, not death. We're going to see that in the New Testament now. We're going to see it more clearly. And that picture in Passover is the picture of a very specific legal term called justification. Now get this. Get your head around this. God is a God of love. Yes, for God so loved the world, he sent Passover. He sent the Lamb. That's because God loves you. But God did that also not just out of his love, but also out of the other part of his nature, which God is just. A holy God is a just God. He couldn't just love you and say, well, okay, you, you, you are in your sin and I'll just forgive you three million times. No, 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 no. He had to also be just because he declared that if man ever invited sin in the equation, that they would surely die. That the wages of sin, the penalty of sin is death. And so God so loved you, he sent a substitute. And we're going to read about that substitute throughout the book of Romans. Now, we're not going to read the whole book of Romans, but turn to Romans 3 very quickly. We've got to go through these quickly. We're going to lay a foundation of what Christ has done and what Christ is doing in your life. First thing that he did for us is he came to this earth and he took on a cross. He became our substitute so that he could justify us before a holy God. So he could change our position. Our position, God who is holy and without sin, our position was we were dead in our sin. We were alienated from the holiness of God because there can be no sin in his presence. So my sin separates me. That's my condition outside of Christ. So remember that condition, but read about your new position. Take a look at it. Romans 3 verse 24. Paul now says you have been justified. That word justified actually is tied to that legal term of justification. We're going to talk about that in a minute. You being justified as a gift, justification is the fact that you once were legally under the penalty of the law, but now justice has been served and you have paid or your, the price for your penalty has been paid. Now, it's a penalty you couldn't pay. I couldn't pay it. 
I was bankrupt spiritually. I was dead spiritually. So the price I couldn't pay, Jesus paid. He became my death. That's the Passover. He's the lamb, the one who paid the price. Now I am justified before a holy God. Paul reminds him, you have been made right with God as a gift. You're not made right with God because you showed up for church today. Bravo. Good for you. I'm glad you're here. We should be here. We should gather together. But that ain't getting you any brownie points with Jesus. Our brownie points have already been earned on a cross. We were justified as a gift. That gift was paid with a high price. It was paid with his life. And that was done, look at what it says, through the redemption, there's the price being paid, redeeming us, which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, watch this, underline this next phrase, he passed over our sins. Do you see the Passover? Do you see the picture? Paul's tying the connection and he's saying, what we see in the Old Testament, what he did for the Hebrews in Egypt is what Christ has done for us today. He shed his blood. He became our Passover lamb and now his blood covers me. I'm not going to heaven because I preached Baptist folk. I'm not going to heaven because I've been baptized or been to Falls Creek. I am spending eternity with God because my sins have been passed over. Why are they passed over? Because I'm under the blood of Jesus. I place my faith in my Passover lamb, Jesus. Have you done that? Is he your Passover? Is he just a figure from the Bible? Is he just a prophet? Is he just a name you're familiar with? Or is he your Passover? Go to Romans 4 now. Flip over one more chapter. Romans 4, verses 5 through 8. Paul continues to unpack this justification wanting you to understand what God has done for you. He has made you a new person, not just in position, but also in condition. Take a look at it, verse 5. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies who? Who does he justify? Baptists, Methodists, Catholics, Jews. Who does he justify? It's in the book. Just read the word. Say it with me. The ungodly. That's you and me. I'm not justified with God because I become better in my behavior, better than I used to be. I used to think that. No, I'm an ungodly sinner. Was, that's who I was, but Christ came for this ungodly person and he came for you. You also are ungodly. All of us in this room have been ungodly, correct? Correct. And out of that, he came to justify those of us who were guilty. Before a holy God, I am guilty. Confess, I've sinned against a holy God. But when I take my last breath, when I step into that holy courtroom, if you will, before the holy judge of all souls, I won't step up and present to him a payoff from penalties or the tickets that I have earned. No, I have an advocate. His name is Jesus, my Passover lamb. He will step up on my behalf and he will declare me righteous Because he has already paid the price for my sins. I have been set free because of the Passover lamb. Paul is constantly trying to remind them how they've been made right and justified with God. For he goes on and says in verse 7, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven, whose sins have been, what's the word? Covered. The picture of the Passover. Just like those homes in Egypt, 
They were covered in the blood of the lamb and the doorpost. It was a picture that for all of us who place the blood of Jesus over our life, what does that mean? To place my faith in Christ, my lamb, my substitute, I'm covered now. And my sins are covered. And if my sins are covered, death cannot touch me. Not because of what I've done, but because I'm under the covering of the blood. Romans 5, verse 1. He continues on. He continues to write over and over to let them understand, this is who you are now that you're in Christ. Look at verse 1. Therefore, having been justified, there's that word again, by faith in Egypt... They had to place faith in what Moses said. They had to, what sense does it make to put the blood of a lamb over the doorpost of their home? They did it by faith because they were told that that's how they would have life. And they placed their faith in that instruction. The Bible says in Scripture, we're only saved by faith in God's grace, God's provision. We come to understand through other Scriptures that provision was Jesus, our Passover. And you have to decide, are you going to place your faith in Christ for your salvation or somewhere else? Where are you placing your faith today? So by faith, we are justified. Not our faith, but where we place our faith. And in that, it says in verse 1, that we have peace with God through Christ. Do you have peace with God? Or are you just trying to figure out who God is? You can have that peace. It comes through Christ. Go to verse 8. Because God demonstrated his love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, ungodly, not when we joined the church, not when we did religious things, but while we were sinning against God, while we were guilty of breaking the law, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we are saved from the wrath of God through him. There are some people who've been in church long enough, they've come to know Christ in his sacrifice they know him as the Passover lamb they know that they have to be saved by the blood of Jesus and they stop at Passover but let me take you back to Exodus again and let me remind you God didn't stop working just as soon as he got them out of the land just as soon as he set it free he said okay guys there you go delivered you hey you're on your own no God continued to work in their life day after day after day and he's doing the same in you if you know Jesus the Passover. So what comes next? What is next? Well, not only did he save you from the bondage of Egypt or from the bondage of sin, but he saved you for a purpose. He just didn't save you to change your position, but he saved you to change your person. Look at this verse on the screen, Colossians 3.10. Take a look at this. Write it down in your notes. Paul instructed them, He's been telling them about their Passover. Now he's telling them what happens after you've experienced Passover. Now he says this, have you now you are to put on the new man who's renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Paul says God just didn't save you so you go to heaven one day. God saved you to restore you and to make you into his image. There's more to be done. Don't stop at Passover Let God continue to work in your life. Don't let God just save you from hell, but let God also work in your life so you don't live a living hell here on this earth. That's the story of the feast, the pictures God gives us of God's activity in our lives. So if you have notes, I'm not going to have you turn here. Uh, We go back to the baby pictures, Leviticus 23, 5 through 8. In Leviticus 23, 5 through 8, 
God gives Moses instructions through these baby pictures of what he's going to do in Christ, what he's going to do for you and me, but let's learn from the pictures. He tells them, as we studied last week, that on the 14th day of the first month, that is to be the Lord's Passover. We saw how Jesus fulfilled that in his crucifixion. It goes on and says, then on the next day, the 15th day of that first month, you are to have the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. It wasn't just to be a religious holiday from work. It was a feast to remember the Lord, what the Lord had done for them and what the Lord was going to do through them and for them. So there was Passover. They were to observe that. And immediately the next day, they were to think about new things, a new feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So what is this picture all about? The Passover is pretty clear. What's this Feast of Unleavened Bread? Well, there were other instructions. They were to do it the first day of the next seven days after Passover. Seven days were set aside on their calendar, and they were to have a bookend, beginning and an end. The first and the seventh day were to be Sabbath days. In between, they were to spend those days eating nothing, or, or, or to eat only unleavened bread. No leaven was to be found anywhere in the home. The first day, a day set apart, celebrating that God had sent the lamb, their sins had been forgiven. Now on this 15th day, they were to eat unleavened bread. What was that showing them? What was that picturing? Well, we find that this happened in Jesus. And so Jesus is the fulfillment of these pictures in Leviticus. So you don't have to turn there, but in John 19, verse 31, it tells us this happening in the days of Jesus, the fulfillment of the Old Testament for you and for me. So here's the picture. Jesus is crucified on the day of Passover. How do we know? John 19, 31 says, Then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation. What's the day of preparation? That was the day they prepared their lambs to be slaughtered in their place to gather their blood for Passover. It was on that day that the Jews came to the Romans and they asked them that the bodies that were hanging on crosses that day, including Jesus, that they would break their legs and that they would hurry up the crucifixion process because they were about to enter into their Sabbath, the day of feast. Now remember, their day is different than ours. Their day began at 6 p.m. They were on a lunar calendar. And Jesus, crucified at 3 p.m., would die at 6 p.m., and that would be the end of the Passover day. Because Jesus is our Passover lamb. He fulfilled that. At 6 p.m., that started the day of, or the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And listen to what it says. It says, they asked that their bodies would not remain on the cross because of the Sabbath that was about to happen. And they asked Pilate that the legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. You go back and you read it. Both the criminals on each side of Jesus had their legs broken. They were still alive. As they get to Jesus, he breathes his last breath. They couldn't touch him because he was a substitute for you and me. God broke him in judgment. Not the bones, but he became the perfect sacrifice. And it's interesting that Isaiah would prophesy that this lamb that would be provided for your sin and mine would not have a broken bone. Isn't that interesting? They hurried this up because on Sabbath they couldn't finish burials. They had to rest from any kind of work of their hands. And so they expedite this because now it was 6 p.m. and now it was the day 
or the feast of unleavened bread. So what is unleavened bread? What is this feast? Turn to Exodus. Go back to the baby pictures. Go back to Exodus chapter 12. You say, man, this is getting confusing. Don't let it confuse you. Just stay with me. Exodus 12, verse 39. Israel is going to paint the picture for us so we can understand what Jesus has done for us. We see the Passover. We studied that last week. We see that that's where they received their deliverance. They were set free. Jesus sets us free from sin. If you've never been set free from sin, it's because you've never trusted Christ and put your faith in his blood substitute. Once you've done that, the Bible says you're a new person. You're now justified before God. You're now being created in his image, and God is doing a new thing in your life. And now we enter the next day after we've been set free, we have this celebration of unleavened bread. Look at it, verse 39. Here's the instructions back then. It says that they were to bake the dough which they had brought out of Egypt into cakes of unleavened bread. For it had not yet become leavened since they were driven out of Egypt and they could not delay, nor had they prepared any provision for themselves. That night of Passover in Egypt, now we're going back to Egypt, not the cross, but Egypt. When they put the blood of the door, over the doorposts of their homes, that was a last minute instruction. God didn't give them 30 days to prepare for a new journey, a new vacation. They were told in that moment, on this day, sacrifice the lamb, put the blood over the doorpost of your home, and I'm giving you your exit. I'm going to set you free tonight. And that night, they left with what they could gather up, and they gathered up their making of dough, what they would make their loaves with, and it had not yet had time to ferment or to have leavened. And they left with unleavened dough. That would be a huge picture of that very next step they would take after Passover. That God was not only setting them free, he was setting them free to a new life. That they were no longer to live like they used to live, like they lived in Egypt. There they, in Egypt, they ate the bread of the land, the leaven, that which they would add that would corrupt, the yeast that would corrupt the dough, that would get it to rise and become puffed up and bigger. It would become a picture of sin and man's sin. And in this unleavened bread, they were reminded that they had been set free through Passover and they'd been set free to live a new condition, a new life. It goes on and says in verse 7, Unleavened bread shall be eaten throughout the seven days and nothing leavened shall be seen among you, nor shall there be any leaven among you in all your borders. In other words, in what you have and what you own, what is yours, your border, your home, your property, there was to be found no leaven during this feast. Nothing that represented what they used to have in Egypt. You see, God didn't just set us free so we get to go to heaven one day. God set us free so we didn't have to live like we lived in Egypt. God has set you free to live a new life, an unleavened life. Not to take in the things of the world and the things that used to own you and have you in bondage. You are now free in Christ to live free of those things that's the picture of unleavened bread if you study their culture uh, what they would do during these seven days they would launch it by doing what we call spring cleaning As a matter of fact the sacred calendar their sacred calendar began in spring you know about spring cleaning that's what we kind of do we go through and we cleanse our houses and we call it spring cleaning it I believe is a satanic holiday but that's a, that's a whole nother personal opinion from the male perspective but we clean up and we get rid of the dust and the cobwebs and we deep clean. They did that 
during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They were not to find any evidence of any leaven in anything that they had or they owned, nothing within their borders. So they would clean and they would clean. They'd clean the floors, they'd clean the walls, they'd clean their furniture, they'd clean their utensils, they'd clean their ceiling, they cleaned it from head to toe, every square inch of everything they owned. Then when it got dark that night on that first day, the head of the household would gather the family together, he would light a candle, and they would go searching through the borders, through their household, room to room to room, space to space, looking and inspecting to make sure there was nothing like what they had in Egypt, no leaven. What a picture. What a picture of who they now were. They were not the same people. They weren't just getting a new location, a new destination. God was giving them a new quality of life. No longer living like they did in Egypt, but living differently, unleavened, if you will, without sin. See, that's God's design for you, is to save you from your sin and to save you from bondage to that sin. The Feast of Unleavened Bread. Turn to 2 Corinthians 5. Let's start tying this together. Let's jump over now into the New Testament where we see more clearly what was pictured in the Old Testament. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. Paul said, and God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin. Now here's the picture. Jesus is the picture of unleavened bread. There was no sin, no yeast of sin in him. He had never sinned. He was the sinless lamb of God, the unblemished lamb. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. That's Passover. That's the substitute. So that we could have a new life and a new day. Look at it. So that we might become, watch this. He said, you were ungodly. Jesus died for the ungodly. So that you might become the righteousness of God in him. The picture again is this. In Egypt, we lived like an Egyptian. We ate off the land. We had our leavened bread. On that night of Passover, God set us free and as we were set free God then said for the next seven days you're to eat unleavened bread it is a picture of this new condition that you now have yes you're set free but you're also free to live freely without sin Jesus lived without sin Jesus died for your sin so your sins could be passed over and so that you could now live an unleavened life a life apart from sin, a life differently, a life that pictures the righteousness of Christ. So here's the problem. Unfortunately, because we preach Passover so much, salvation, how we're set free through Christ, most people have experienced the Passover lamb, but they've not experienced unleavened bread. They want Jesus to save them from their sin, and they want to know that they're going to heaven someday, but we still keep letting Egypt live in us what do I mean by that we keep letting some of those old ways those old habits those old things of our flesh we just justify them and say well that's just who I am I, I enjoy that I I want to do what the world does I want I want I want to I want a promised land but I also still want some of Egypt you can't have both but we try to do that don't we we try to live this bipolar Christianity on one end and one end and the two cannot coexist and Jesus reminds them through the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you are called to a different life. 
We see that through other parts of Scripture. John chapter 6, I don't have time to take you through all that, but if we did, in John chapter 6, you could read Jesus saying to them, know this, you want to know who I am? Yes, I'm the Passover lamb. Do you want to know this? I'm also the bread of life. I'm also the bread of life. You see, it's good to be set free, but if you don't have sustenance, this new life, you still perish. Not lose your salvation, but you don't have life abundantly. Jesus said, I came that you might have life abundantly. How do we have it? Through the nourishment of the bread of life, Jesus. We don't have time to read all of it, but he continued to remind them, listen, this bread was sent to you from heaven. It was sent to give you life, and anyone who eats of this bread will never hunger again. Jesus is our Passover And Jesus is our unleavened bread. The one who is without sin lives in your life, and he calls you to a life that is unleavened. A life that is set apart, different than the Egyptians and different than the world. Not isolated from, just new quality of life without sin. So listen to this. Turn to Ephesians 4 and we close. Ephesians 4.22. Paul says, listen, you remember in reference to your former life? He tells them you used to have a past, just like the Hebrews did it. They had a past in Egypt. You had a past. You were in your sin. And just as in reference to your former manner of life, you were to lay aside the old life, the old self, that which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and you are being renewed in the spirit of your mind. Therefore, put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, that has been created in righteousness and the holiness of the truth. Paul said, don't stop at Passover. Don't just rest that you've been saved from your sin. Praise God your sins have been passed over. But know this, that as you leave Egypt, as you now have this new life in Christ, it is to be different. It is to be like unleavened bread without the issues of Egypt. Let's pray about it. With every head bowed and every eye closed, what a great picture. Maybe you never looked at it this way. But God was trying to paint a picture through history of his story, of who he is and what he'd do for you. Jesus desires for every person in this room. He says, I'm willing that none should perish, but all come to everlasting life. That only happens through Passover. That's first base. And if you don't touch first base, you miss out on the blessings of God. You can't run the bases in your own works. You have to confess that Jesus is first base. He is the Passover lamb. You have to place your faith in Christ to be saved. Have you done that? If you've done that, thank Jesus that he set you free. Thank him for it right now. But if you haven't, if you don't have that peace with God, I wrestled with that for month after month after month as I would hear a preacher like me at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Man, I wanted that peace and I wanted to have that gift, but I just didn't get it. And then one day it made sense. The Spirit of God revealed it. Bill, it's a gift. Receive me. Trust me. Let me cover your sins. And on that day, I finally realized that only Jesus can set me free. So I said, Jesus, save me. I prayed in my own way. Very simple words. Not a magical prayer. I just cried out to God and said, God, save me. Do you need to do that? Does that need to be your prayer this morning? Pray to Jesus. Say, Jesus, save me. If you're watching online, drop to your knees right now and say, Lord, save me. He will, right where you are. The Bible says, whoever will call on his name, he will save you from your Egypt, from your bondage, and he will give you a new life. He'll set you free. 
you just prayed and trust Christ, he's made you a new person, a child of God, would you just say, God, thank you for saving me just now. Thank you, Jesus. One of the ways you can show him your thanksgiving is at the end of this time, as I pray, ministers will be here at the front. You need to come and share. Jesus called us publicly to acknowledge what he has done for us. Just come shake a hand of a minister and say, I prayed with Pastor Bill today. I asked Jesus to save me. We'll do the rest of the talking. That's all you'll have to say. But I know a lot of you know Passover. Where are you at with unleavened bread? Do you still have some of Egypt that you're hanging on to? Do you still have leaven in your life? Something that is unholy? Something that's not of God? The Bible calls you to repentance. The Bible says there's any ungodly way in us, we are to confess that as sin and he will cleanse us. He will remove it. Just like they removed it out of their houses, they cleansed their house, God wants to cleanse you today. Will you let him? Cry out to God in forgiveness and pray, God, forgive me. God, cleanse me from this leaven, this thing. And name it. What is that leaven? What is that thing you need to repent of? Put a name to it. Confess it specifically. And then thank Jesus who cleanses the house. God, thank you for saving. God, thank you for cleansing. God, thank you for changing us into your image. I pray that today you are letting Jesus do what Jesus does giving you abundant life and eternal life Father I pray over this congregation that this morning if there's anyone here that has a decision to make for you whatever that decision is however small or however large God may we submit our lives to you in this moment we ask it in Jesus name